and welcome to the Westside Church's special podcast. If you'll turn in your Bibles and your Old Testaments to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, that probably sounds like the strangest place in your Bibles to turn when we're talking about encouragement. Chronicles is full of boring genealogies, right? But not 2 Chronicles 32. There's good stuff there, and we're going to work with that in just a moment. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm excited about this opportunity. It only took me 27 years, I guess, to get to youth lectures and participate. Is that, I think that's about right. This is a great opportunity. It's been such an encouraging weekend. In some ways, what I ought to say is the power of encouragement. The last three days, period, end of story, and sit down, right? It's been a great, great weekend. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad for this opportunity. I'm going to try. Woohoo, it worked. Pull up a graphic. This is a list from 2014, so it's a little dated, but of fears of people in the United States, okay? Now, there's some things on that list that you just go, really? Zombies? We're talking about zombies on a Sunday morning? No way. Now, there are others. Snakes is number three on that list, right? About a year ago, we had a cobra that escaped, a pet cobra. Those words should not go together. A cobra that escaped in Grand Prairie and was never found. Yeah, that, that's frightening, isn't it? And there's other things on here, right? Fear of microphones giving you feedback on a Sunday, all sorts of stuff, right? But I'll tell you where I am on that list. Phil Robertson did some confessing yesterday. My confession is this. You see fear of flying right above fear of strangers? That's me. I don't like flying. I like getting to places, and I like getting to places quickly, but I don't like getting on airplanes. I don't like being locked in metal tubes that are six miles up in the air, and you can't just pull over to the gas station and get some help when you need some help. That doesn't sit well with me. And what do people say to folks who don't like flying? Well, statistically, it's safer than driving. Oh, thank you. You've just changed my whole outlook. Now I'm no longer afraid of flying. No, fear of flying is not a facts issue. It's still a fear issue. And believe it or not, that's what got me thinking about encouragement for our purposes this morning. A few years ago, I needed to take a business trip from Dallas to Seattle, which is a four-and-a-half-ish hour flight, all told. And I hadn't flown in a few years, and the longest flight I'd taken was like two-and-a-half hours, and I'm going, oh my goodness, this is going to be bad. I'm going to lose it on the airplane, and they're going to have to cuff me and land in Vegas and send me off with the cops. It's going to be a disaster. And folks were telling me, ah, it's safer, it's safer, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And finally, I had a friend at work, his name was Paul. And he knew all of this about me. And he came by my desk one day, just one-on-one. And he goes, hey, I know this is going to be hard. But you pick a flight that will work best for you. Aircraft, airline, time of day, on and on and on. You find a flight that you think will work. And you give me your travel information, and I'll book that flight. And we'll go together. He goes, I'll sit with you before the flight and make sure you do okay. And I'll sit with you on the flight and make sure you do okay. And you know what? It worked. I got to Seattle. And they didn't have to cuff me or land the plane early. It went totally fine. And Paul made all the difference in the world. And Paul is not a member at Westside. He's just a guy, a friend of mine, a close friend from work. But he encouraged me, and it made all the difference in the world. And that got me thinking about encouragement. And it turns out that encouragement is stamped all over Scripture. We're not going to talk about Barnabas till the end of our lesson. And if you're thinking that's going to make this lousy and cruddy, I promise it shouldn't be, as long as I don't mess it up. Barnabas is great, but there's so much more to say about encouragement. And there is so much power in that. And that's why this morning we're going to talk about the power 
of encouragement. I'm excited about this topic. I believe wholeheartedly in this. It's made a difference in my life, and it can and will make a difference in yours. So I'm asking you, as you've experienced encouragement this weekend, to believe in this power, to take a little walk with me through the scriptures this morning and see how powerful encouragement can be. Now, we're going to do that in three basic steps. First, we're going to talk about power at work, the power of encouragement at work. And that's why we're in 2 Chronicles 32. Hezekiah is king in Judah, and the Assyrians are coming. That's really, really bad. The Assyrians are vicious. They are mighty. They torture and mutilate their victims. They are awful, awful, awful. And this is not going to go well for the people of Jerusalem and Judah, except that they have God on their side. So the people start making preparations. They're damming up water so that water stays in Jerusalem and the Assyrians don't have it, and they make all these preparations. But notice verse 6, 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 6. And he, that is Hezekiah, set combat commanders not over the army but over the people. And he gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city, and he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than there are with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's encouraging. That's awesome. I want some of that. But notice the effect that it had on the people, the very end of verse 8. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. That confidence lasts them through the siege, through the blasphemous things that are spoken against God, through all of the threats that are launched against them in Hebrew so that no translation is required. Encouragement worked. It was powerful, and it got them through until God sent an angel and killed 185,000 soldiers in the night. That's cool. But encouragement helped that to work. That's the power of encouragement. Turn back in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to look at a story that involves King Asa, still the southern kingdom of Judah. 2 Chronicles 15, Asa is beginning to pursue some spiritual revival and reformation activities. And we're going to read a few verses here, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of God, 2 Chronicles 15, 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, everybody listen, he says. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Skip down to verse 7. He talks about some of the blessings and curses, essentially, of the covenant. And he says this, But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. That's encouraging, but look at the effect. Verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, if Mark, who wrote the New Testament gospel, was writing this, he'd go, Immediately, and immediately Asa heard the prophecy of Azariah. He took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim, the northern kingdom. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, 
and Simeon. The northern kingdom guys hear about what's going on and they go, I want some of that courage. I want some of that God. I'm going down there. And they come down who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to Asa from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They gathered at Jerusalem. They make a covenant. Look at verse 15 finally. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. That's the power of encouragement. That's awesome. I want some of that, and I'll bet some of you, maybe most, hopefully all, want some of that encouragement too. Let's grab one more. Turn all the way over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians is such a cool little letter. And we've made reference already this weekend, I think it was uh, Brother Schumann can comment on it, that we don't think of Paul as having bad days. But Paul had bad days, and he needed to pick me up. That's what we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Begin reading with me in verse 5. Paul says, For this reason, his concern for their faith and their faithfulness, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow... The tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Now, 1 Thessalonians 3 and 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, excuse me, and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted. But that's the word encouragement. We have been encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? That's the power of encouragement. Somebody like Paul, who was strong and bold and did all kinds of important work, he had concern and worry and anxiety and discouragement. And the brethren's faith and faithfulness encouraged him. And so he kept on keeping on. That's what we want to talk about and tap into this morning. But that leads us then to think some about the process of encouragement. I'm an engineer, so I want to know what button do I push and what happens when I push that button? What knob or gear does that turn and where does that go and what happens next all the way from A to B? And the Bible describes for us in some really wonderful terms the process of encouragement. I'll ask you to turn back in your Old Testaments to Joshua chapter 1. I promise we are eventually going to get to Barnabas. Joshua chapter 1, because encouragement is stamped all over Scripture, we get to work with it from all over Scripture. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, God says this to Joshua as he is commissioned as the leader of the people of Israel. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and 
courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And yes, that's a very obvious point. But we need to say it because it's so important. Encouragement comes first and foremost from God. God says to Joshua, I'm with you. And as long as that's true, as long as you stay with me, this is going to be fine. You have nothing to be afraid of. God encouraged Joshua. And that's stamped all over the text of Scripture. Keep your finger in Joshua 1 for just a moment. Turn with me to Psalm 27. David has a similar experience and observation. Psalm 27, we're going to grab the last two verses of that psalm. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, David says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David took courage from God. The writer of Hebrews says something about this in Hebrews chapter 6. He references God's promise to Abraham. Hebrews chapter 6 going to notice verses 17 through 20. Hebrews 6, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Let's grab one more, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we'll move on to our next observation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is one of those passages where we kind of have to say encouragement by any other name is still encouragement. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, notice what Paul says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all encouragement. Many translations will say comfort. That's the same word, encouragement. Who encourages us in all our affliction so that we may be able to encourage those who are in any affliction with the encouragement with which we ourselves are encouraged by God. Do you hear encouragement in there just a little bit, just a little Encouragement comes from God. And what's great about that, think about Matthew 7, because it's a fun song to sing. We get to do this, right? If we build our encouragement, our courage on anything else, what happens? The foolish man's house phenomenon, splat, right? That's the fun part of the song. If we build our courage on God, what happens? Stands firm. It will pass every test that riches and wealth and status and education and accomplishment, none of those things will last every test, but courage built on God, absolutely Well, that brings us back to Joshua chapter 1. I hope you held your finger there while we jumped around. Our second point is that encouragement comes from God absolutely, but often and by his plan and provision through us. Notice verses 16 through 18 now of Joshua chapter 1. The people of Israel answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
the people of Israel at least make an attempt to encourage Joshua by saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do it with you and under you, so we do it together. Now, I'll tell you, if I were Joshua, I don't think the words I want to hear from them is, as we obeyed Moses, we will obey you. That's a pretty lousy guarantee, right? Like, I've been around the last 40 years, guys. This isn't my first time around the block. Can you promise me something better? Like, just, we will obey you. That would be fine. Not, not, but, but nonetheless, Joshua takes courage. And that same pattern, again, is stamped all over Scripture. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 14. We're not going to come back specifically to the text of Joshua 1, although we'll make reference to it. Acts chapter 14, I want to show us how this is built into Paul's work and ministry, including, for the first time this morning, Barnabas. Acts chapter 14, we're going to do this kind of rapid-fire style. Acts 14 and verse 21. When they, in this case Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Turn over a couple of pages to Acts 16 and verse 40. That's not a one-off. You're not surprised by that this morning. Acts 16 and verse 40. In Philippi, after Paul and Silas were released from prison, we notice this, Acts 16, 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. One more in Acts. Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, which is one of those Bible verses that probably has months of history captured in it. Acts 20 and verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. This was part of Paul's practice, and that wasn't by accident. This is part of God's design for the church and for his people, because being a Christian virtually any time throughout history has been hard to some degree. Doing right things is, can be hard. Doing right things in hard situations can absolutely be hard, and that's especially Paul's audience. Let's notice two more on this note. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this to that congregation. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes this in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One more, and then we'll move on from this point. First Thessalonians, we've been there once already. Let's go back. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes this instruction. He gives some information about this question. What happens when we die, and when will Christ return, and how do we deal with all of this uncertainty? And Paul gives some information, but then he says this in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Verses 13 through 17 are not a PhD thesis. They're encouragement. And Paul says, go use them that way. Notice as well, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, Paul talks about living holy lives in an unholy world effectively so that we're ready for Christ's return. And he says this, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Well, spent a lot of time on that. 
I hope it's clear, and convincingly so, that encouragement is powerful, comes from God and through us, but to whom does it need to be directed? We need to kind of get the rubber meeting the road at some point this morning, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to treat that in two ways. First of all, who needs encouragement? And when we have answered that question, how do we actually go and do that? Do we all have to be Barnabas? Yikes. So let's talk first about that who question. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, still on the same basic page. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, Paul writes this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage, there's our word, the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Faint-hearted in some translations is timid, and since that's shorter and fits better on a PowerPoint slide, encouragement needs to be directed to the timid. But that brings to us an important challenge. We live in 21st century United States in the era of social media. And I have never seen a Facebook post that said, I'm feeling timid today. Can someone please come encourage me? Never seen that on Instagram or anything else. And I've never shaken someone's hand in the church building and said, hey, how are you doing? And they went, oh, I'm feeling really faint-hearted. Could you encourage me? I just Maybe it happens, but I've never had it happen to me. People may be feeling that way. But expressing that, particularly in an era where we value so much strength and self-sufficiency and independence and appearances, these sorts of things, finding the faint-hearted, finding the timid can be a little tough. So let's see if we can flush that out a bit. I wanna, I'm going to move to a slide, and we're going to talk some about who that might be. Let's use Joshua. We're going to talk notionally about Joshua. Think about what Joshua is facing in Joshua 1. He's leading a huge nation with a really lousy track record. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy 31 later on, you'll see that God taught Moses a song to teach to the people of Israel that says, yeah, you're going to mess up and completely make all these mistakes, and I'm going to leave you, and you're going to have horrible circumstances. So yeah, teach them that so that when it happens, I can say, I told you so. And Joshua learns that song before he takes up the helm and gets, be strong and courageous, and the people say, we'll be with you like we were with Moses. Oh my goodness, I cannot imagine there's an intimidation level there. He's going into a period of military conflict like they've never seen before. He's almost the only one left of his entire generation. That's a tough job. Joshua could benefit from encouragement. And we could say that about all kinds of leaders. Moses is more than a little hesitant to take up that leadership role before Joshua is. David struggles with discouragement. Elijah has a moment where he basically asks God to kill him because his life is too hard and he's all alone. Jeremiah has a little hint of that. Paul struggles with discouragement. Those are big-name people in big-name situations, but there's countless of unnamed groups like the citizens of Judah that we noted earlier who needed encouragement. So, who needs encouragement? Well, anybody that's facing something hard. That's not real difficult, is it? In some ways, it's a little circular reason. Who needs encouragement? Well, discouraged people do. Well, duh. Yeah, I got that. But if we start thinking about the circumstances in which discouragement happens, that becomes easy. Now, the other point I want to make here, Joshua, Moses, David, Elijah, Paul, we would not look at their legacy as one of timidness or faint-heartedness, right? That doesn't define their history, their legacy, how we look at them. Because they did get encouragement, and they did go and do what was right. And that brings a really important point out. Being timid, being weak, being discouraged doesn't make you a wimp. It just means that you need some courage. That's all that it means. It's okay to need courage. It's okay to ask for it and express it and receive it. Because often, when you're in that situation, all it means 
is that you're facing something hard by which you will likely grow and be stronger, but you need some help to get through it. And if that's okay for Joshua and David and Moses and Elijah, it's okay for us too, for all of us and each one of us. But we need to be specific. Let's talk some about who can benefit from encouragement. I would say first those who are leading. That's Joshua, Moses, David, the folks we just talked about. But think today, right? Who is that? Well, husbands who are leading their families, parents who are leading their children, maybe those who are doing that in difficult circumstances, single parents or a Christian spouse whose other spouse is not a Christian, dealing with the challenges of that, managers in the workplace, elders, deacons, preachers, are young people who aren't here, so I can't walk over there and talk to them, right? But they have influence in their circles of, of, well, I can't say circles of influence now. They have influence with their peers, right? They are leading, even though they don't have a badge or a title. They're leading there. And that's hard work sometimes. They can benefit from encouragement. And you won't have to look very far or very hard to find somebody who's leading and who can benefit from encouragement. Let's borrow still from what we just noted a moment ago. Those who are grieving can benefit from encouragement. We just read that in 1 Thessalonians 4. But let me borrow Job's example in the Old Testament. Most of Job is a miserable disaster of a failure, right? We read Job and go, oh my goodness, they're missing the mark and they're missing the mark and on and on and on it goes. But there's a small little statement early in Job that says his friends came to him and they sat with him for seven days. Have you ever sat with somebody for seven minutes or seven hours, particularly if you're somebody like a peer of Job who is wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. Seven days is a big deal. Job needed encouragement. And yes, they completely messed up encouragement by the time we're done with Job. But for seven days, they did okay. People who are grieving can benefit from encouragement. You know people like that, or you will know people like that, or you've been that person. I've been in that situation. How about folks? I need to go the other direction. How about those who are suffering? Well, that just kind of goes without comment, doesn't it? It doesn't require a whole lot of observation. Let me throw just a couple of passages at that, just to flesh it out a bit. Here's Proverbs 15 and 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Well, yeah, that just fits, doesn't it? People who are struggling with that can benefit from encouragement. Scripture often talks about people who are like sheep without a shepherd, distressed. They can benefit from encouragement. Here's Ezekiel 13 and 22. God rebukes these false prophets and he says this, You have discouraged the righteous, falsely, and you have encouraged the wicked so that he should not turn from his evil way. Sometimes righteous, good people just get beat down by their circumstances around them. Maybe in our culture today, all of the media sorts of things. I'm not anti-media, but we talk a lot about negative things and division and crises all over the world that I can do absolutely zero about, and that wears on people. We can benefit from encouragement. I'm going to borrow an idea from that Ezekiel passage. Folks who are repenting can benefit from encouragement. That may seem a little strange on this list because we're going, well, they're in sin. They need to stop that. We're not going to encourage them when they're in sin. But If they're in that process of changing their lives, that's hard. And they can benefit from encouragement, from somebody saying, I appreciate what you're doing, your sincerity, and I'm going to walk this mile of the road with you so that you don't give up in the middle of the process of repentance. And we could note others. 
enduring. We've talked a lot about that this weekend. Brother Clark talked about standing for God and defending his word. Doing that consistently and persevering in that is hard. And they can benefit. Folks who are doing that can benefit from encouragement. Brother Shoemaker talked about finishing strong. Well, guess what? Yeah, you need encouragement for that. Even if it's a bunch of teens hiking a trail through a creek, however many times. I forget how many you said, Philip, yesterday. We talked yesterday as well about the life of discipleship. Folks who keep on doing what's right when it's hard can benefit from encouragement. Somebody gave me this quote for this lesson. It's from a German poet in the 1700s, but it's not as bad as you might think. Instruction does much, yeah, we're on board, but encouragement, everything. I like that quote. Knowing the right thing to do, Daniel Lee just talked with us about this, knowing the right thing to do and consistently choosing to do it day after day after day when so many things are pushing back against you. Encouragement helps with that. It is powerful. And we can do it. You won't have to think very hard look very far to find someone. The last one I'm going to throw up here is folks who are growing. And that may seem a little strange. Apollos in Acts chapter 18 is thinking of going across to Achaia. And it it reads a little bit to me like he's kind of, I I could kind of do this, but I'm not sure this is the best idea. And the text tells us that the brethren encouraged him to go across. And you almost get the impression that he goes, all right, I'm going. And he hops on a boat and he sails across. And then he's working and working and he does good things. Apollos started something new and different. And we have folks who are starting something new and different in the service of God. Maybe it's teaching Bible class for the very first time, or an age group that you've never taught, and you're kind of intimidated by that. Maybe it's somebody who's talking with a friend from work or school about God and Jesus and spiritual matters. That that can be tough. Starting something new in the service of God can be really intimidating. And folks doing that can absolutely benefit from encouragement. So I put this up here just to say that timid doesn't maybe help us all that much. We can think maybe in these terms and others like them and go, I know somebody like that. Or maybe I've been that person and I knew what helped me. I can go help somebody else. And that can make all the difference in the world as we grow to be more and more like Christ. Well, I want to use our last few minutes to talk some finally about Barnabas. Yes, it's finally time. So turn to Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 15 and talk some about what encouragement looks like. How do we do this practically? Again, I'm an engineer. I want to know step one, step 1A, step 1B. What does that look like when it comes to encouragement? And we're helped by that with Barnabas. There's not as much said about Barnabas specifically as I kind of thought I remembered. But the things that are said about him are enormously helpful and insightful. Let's begin that in Acts chapter 15 and verse 30. This is after the meeting in Jerusalem. They've come to this conclusion, understanding the will of God and sharing that with others so that this potentially enormously divisive, uh, horrendous issue gets settled. What about circumcision and Gentile Christians? How do we settle this without just blowing the church up and losing everybody. And they settled that. And here's what happens. Verse 30 of Acts 15. When they were sent off, Paul and Barnabas and some others with them, they went down to Antioch from Jerusalem. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I wish I could have been in Antioch that day. That would have been the coolest assembly maybe ever to be in. Gentile Christians are going, That's the answer? Yes! This is great! 
And that continues. Look at verse 32. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And I want to just suggest that the first practice of encouragement means connecting people with God. And I want to suggest, especially in light of that Acts passage, that that needs to be done in a way that's real and relevant, that's practical and applicable. I could rattle a verse off to somebody that has nothing to do with their circumstance and go, oh, I connected them with God. No, you didn't. (laughs) You gave them a random Bible verse. Find something that fits. And I would add to this, discouragement is not just an intellectual issue. Remember, flying is statistically safer than driving, right? I don't necessarily need just the facts. I need the heart stuff. I need the emotional appeal. Paul often does that in his letters and says, let me reason with you, but let me also inspire and motivate you. And we can do that by connecting people with God. Now, we do that here, right, on Sundays and Wednesdays and weekend events like this, and that's wonderful. That is absolutely part of God's plan and provision. But can we do that on Monday and Friday, Saturday? Uh, Yes, yes, we absolutely can. Because we don't stop being the church when the doors close and we get in our cars. And people don't stop needing encouragement the moment that they walk out. They still need it. They may need it more on Monday or Tuesday than they do on Sunday or Wednesday night. So how can we do that? Well, you've probably got a phone in your pocket. I've got one somewhere. I forget where it is at the moment. Text somebody. Was thinking about you today. Said a prayer for you. Love you, brother. Period. End of story. Done. Right? That makes a difference. I read this Bible verse today, and I thought of you, and I thought it might be helpful. Or you led in this way. You led this song. You said a prayer, and that, that touched me. That really affected me. Thank you for loving God and for affecting me in that way. That's all it takes. It's so simple. But connecting people with God is key. If God is the source, the perfect source of all encouragement, then we can start there. The second thing, and Daniel made reference to this uh, earlier in his message, Daniel Lee, was that we stand together. Barnabas is a great example of this. We're not going to notice the text, but let's just think about it. When Paul comes to Jerusalem from Damascus and all the other history that we're kind of fuzzy on, right? He gets there and the people go, we know you, you killed us. No, thank you. Get out, which is a perfectly reasonable and natural response. Until Barnabas shows up, he goes, I'm with him. He's the real deal. You need to let him in. He's going to do good stuff. And it works. John Mark is another great example of that. Barnabas says he needs a second chance. And if he gets it, he's going to do great stuff. And so Barnabas gives that second chance to him. And then Paul later on says, bring, bring John Mark. Bring him to me because he is useful to me. Barnabas was really good at standing with people. And that's an example that we can learn from. Folks are going to go through hard times in their lives, grief, suffering, enduring. And we can be there. It may be as simple as Job's friends and just sitting with them. It may be, can I pray with you? Can we just talk? You just need to vent. Look for just a second. I'm going to turn to Acts 28. I love this example. Paul is on his way to prison in Rome. Acts 28 and verse 15. We're told this. The brothers there, that is in Rome, Paul is almost there, but the brothers from Rome, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of of Appius and three taverns to meet us, and on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. 
Sometimes it just means showing up, saying, I'll stand with you, sitting silently, saying a prayer. We can do that. We can absolutely do that for folks who need encouragement. And the last one I'm going to float up here is be kind. I almost turned this into don't be a grouch because one of my favorite fictional characters when I was a kid was Oscar the Grouch. My parents have a picture of me somewhere sitting in a yard cart full of grass clippings pretending to be Oscar the Grouch. But we went with be kind instead. That's a little more warm and fuzzy, right? Be kind. This is what Barnabas maybe is most famous for. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We get introduced to him here for the very first time. In the midst of all kinds of people selling possessions, sharing things in common, we're told in Acts 4 and verse 36 that Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's real simple. Barnabas saw a need. He saw he had the means to meet that need or to help meet it, and he just took it and did it. And that was it. And that's all it takes. Here's a proverb, Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It doesn't cost a dime. It won't take very much of your time just to be kind. But we can do that. We can do that with our words. We can do that with our actions. We can give financially of our time, of our energies. All of those things we can do. Let me add just two other points to this. These are kind of separate because these are a little more experiential, I guess, than anything else. I want to say think small. We might think this morning that the message is, well, I've got to encourage and I've got to be Barnabas. And oh man, that just seems so hard and so far away. And I don't think I can do that. That's not my gift or my natural inclination. Well, there's only one Barnabas in all of the New Testament, (laughs) but there were countless people who encouraged. Start small. If you try and get it exactly right, the exact right scope and scale and method, you may never do anything. And something is better than nothing. Start small. And the other one that I'll put out there is that we need to be okay with failing and then trying and trying again. I've done some really dumb, embarrassing things trying to encourage people. I'm not going to confess all of those right now, but I've done those. And you know what? I tried again. And the next time it went better. And the next time after that, it went better still. We can do this. We've got to be okay being creative and taking some risks, trying something new, maybe even stepping outside of our comfort zone. But we can do encouragement, and I believe wholeheartedly that it's powerful, that you should believe that too. And I'll say this, we need you to believe in the power of encouragement because we can't do it without you. That's God's design. It's God's plan. It's why he established the church and organized it the way he did. I need you. You need me. We need us. Can I use that terminology? And encouragement can help us with that. I think I have just a moment. Let me lead us briefly in prayer, and then we'll be finished this morning. Thank you. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the God that you are, that you are mighty and strong and holy and just, but you are also merciful and gracious and loving and kind. Thank you for being the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement, so that we can stand firm in all and circumstances, regardless of what's happening around us, because you are God always and forever. And thank you for your design, for your people, for the power of encouragement. Help us, God, to engage with this, to practice it, and that we would do it regularly and diligently so that your people may stand firm and that we may be more and more like your son. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again.